chapter 1 and verse 2. In Dave's prayer this morning, he was talking about he was rejoicing in the we were rejoicing in the Lord, but many of us are going through very difficult trials and tribulations. And the book of James starts off talking exactly about that. And we've read this before, and we visited this before. But the message never gets old, in my mind. It never gets old, because God is saying something to us that meets us where we are every day. Every day. It says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. In this statement that it's made in the book of James, God is telling us something. And it's very clear what He's telling us. God is testing our faith to see whether we'll trust Him in the valleys. Not just in the mountaintops, but also in the valleys. And the Apostle Peter puts it this way, he says, the testing of our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. And both James and Peter are telling us to look at our situations differently than we naturally would. To look at them through the eyes of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is telling us about our life and about our problems and about the crises that are in our lives. There's a clear message in them that God is allowing certain things to come through his protective hedge around us for a purpose I don't like it it doesn't matter God is still God and we have to honor and respect him and his majesty and his lordship and if God brings things into our life it says that we should rejoice count it all joy in our many trials. And say, well, that's not normal. That's not natural. That doesn't make any sense. Not to, it does, This is not a matter of something sensual to the senses. It's not something that appeals to the natural man. This is a message to us, our spirit within us. It's a message to the spiritual. And to the spiritual man, to look at our trials as being more precious than money, than gold, that perishes. These trials will work out things in us that will last for eternity if we rejoice in them, if we trust God in them. But if we panic, and if we push every panic button, and we fret, and we are living in fear and anxiety, we're not going to grow. The purpose that God allowed them into our life will never be realized. We'll never receive the benefit that was supposed to happen 
to these trials that God allows into our lives. God allows these into our lives to, to help us to grow, to become faith warriors, faith giants, prayer warriors, men and women of God who are mature. But if, we sit, if I sit there, and every time he trial, these trials come along, I push panic buttons, I do this, I do that, and I, I, I fear, I, I, I do carnal things because of that, I'm missing the boat. Never grow. I'm going to always do that. That's, that's the way I'm going to be until I learn the secret of being content in every situation. Now we can say, well, that's easy because James and Peter were apostles and they didn't go through what I'm going through. Well, we didn't know them personally. We don't know what they went through. But we can only, from what we see the early church went through, they went through a lot. And the message is timeless because people throughout the ages have gone through things that we're going through. Maybe the circumstances are a little different. Times are different. Society is different. doesn't matter. So the question is today, what have I been doing about the problems in my life? We talk about dealing with problems all the time. What are we doing it? Or are we just turning a deaf ear to it? I remember there was a group in the 80s called GLAD. And the name of the, so the song was, I remember him singing, You're Just a Beautiful Love Song in the Night. In the night. And he was talking about how they were singing songs, gospel songs, and people were loving them and, and, and enjoying their songs. And he says, they, they, tell, they compliment us on our songs, and then they walk away, and they, do it, and they go back and do whatever they were doing before. In other words, the message in the songs they were singing wasn't getting through. And we wonder, when we hear this message, whether we're actually getting the message. We're just hearing it. That God is allowing trials, crises, problems in our life, whether we're old like me or young like some of you. It doesn't matter. God is working with each of us as individuals. And he has an individualized plan for each person in this world. An individual plan. It's not like their plan or their plan or their plan. It's designed, custom made for each of us. You don't believe it? I don't know what to tell you. That's what God's word says. And the purpose of this custom built plan that God has for each of us is is to make us grow up as a Christian to, to make us what he wants us to be and we can reject that and never get there reject that, reject God, we can reject it all or we can humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and he will make of us what he wants us to be, what he's chosen for our life. We're each individuals, and so he has an individual plan for each of us to reach us where we're at. 
What is the purpose of these trials? It says to work patience in us. What kind of patience? Patience in the working of God to answer our prayers. Patience in the things that we hope for. That we don't give up. The Bible says we have a need of patience. That after we've done His will, we'll receive what's promised. God wants to change us. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be like His Son, Jesus. And so, He takes us down this road. It seems like a road to despair. A road of darkness. But it's a road where, when we can't see God, when we can't see what He's doing... We're still trusting Him. And that's what causes us to grow. That's what causes us to become men and women of faith. That's what makes us prayer warriors and faith warriors. Is that when we can't see God working, we're still trusting Him. That's what causes us to grow. And if we reject that, we don't grow. And we're always going to be whining and miserable, and in despair. We're not going to grow up. We're not going to stand on, stand on God's Word. And that's what this is all about. God says that I'm standing on it. I'm building my life on what God says. No matter what it looks like, no matter how dark it is, no matter how many storm clouds are around, this is how I've chosen to live my life. <clears throat> Let patience have its perfect word, that you may be mature and complete. What is it like to be a complete Christian? We're still trying to find out, right? What is it like to be a mature Christian? That's our goal, or it should be. Not to just say, well, I'll read my Bible and I'll say a few prayers and that's good enough for me. That's not God's will for your life. That might be your will. It's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to grow up and mature and become the person that's like Jesus. That's a, that lives the life that he lived. Of giving of himself, of sacrifice, of those kind of things. That's God's will for our lives. And so... This is how it happens. To become complete and mature. George Mueller talked about crises like this, and he had many of them he wrote about. He talked about them as being the food of our faith. That if we accept it, it causes us to grow. Just like food causes the body to grow. Trials if we stand by faith in them, will cause us to grow up as a Christian. The food of our faith. A lot of people don't look at it that way. They grumble in their trials. They grumble in their situation. They give no glory to God in their situation. They don't honor God. They don't rejoice in the Lord in their situation. I think we've all experienced that. But it's time to get out of that, that worldly 
natural mindset of complaining and grumbling about our circumstances or being depressed and discouraged about our circumstances or being dismayed about them. Instead, rejoice and give glory to God. That's what we're reading. In the book of James, chapter 2, in verse 5, it says, Listen, my brethren. He's got something to say. He says, listen. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. So well, why is that? What does he mean by that? Why are the poor in this world rich in faith? Why are the poor Christians, is what he's saying, is, is what he's, is, is, what is he saying? Is it that, that the rich won't, in Christ will not have as much faith as the poor in Christ? What is he saying? What he's saying is, is that when we are not pursuing the wealth of this world, the way of this world, but relying on God instead for our needs, and accepting humble circumstances, then God has an opportunity in our life to reach us and to grow in faith because we don't have everything we need. If we go about in our own strength to get everything we need, then how or why do we need to depend on God? The Bible tells us to work hard, take care of our needs, but it also tells us not to pursue the things of this world, to pursue the wealth of this world, to desire to be rich, to desire material things. And it says later on in chapter 4, in verse 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those who pursue the way of the world are pursuing it for a reason. They're seeking comfort and security in the world. To have everything, all of the ducks lined up in a row so that no matter what happens, we have an answer for it. Where's the need for faith in all of that? And yet many brethren seek exactly that. They seek security by this motivation to provide for every circumstance, every problem that it could ever come up. Having insurance for everything. Where's the need for faith? God has chosen the poor of this world through the trials and tribulations that we read in chapter 1. Through the problems that would come their way. Again, it is referring to the testing of our faith 
causes us to grow and become mature. <clears throat> if we have everything we could possibly need, all the money we could ever need in the bank, security, the end of our lives, and the things of this world, we're not going to be tested, we're not going to feel tested as much with those things. But God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. I hear of people in third world countries and churches and the great miracles God does, does through them. Why is that? One young Christian who went to a foreign country and saw miracles that she never saw here in the United States. And she came to me and asked me, why did I see that there? And I've never seen that here in churches. I grew up in the church. I've never seen anything like that. It was, she saw somebody be healed in front of her eyes, a real healing. And it was in the mountains of a third world country. They have no hospital. They have no doctors. They don't have pharmaceuticals. They have no medicine. They had to have a miracle, otherwise they had to trust God, otherwise there was no other options. So you begin to see that God works in us when we, and is powerful in us when we have no other options. And so... <clears throat> God wants us to live by faith and not provide for ourselves a plan B. In this country, we have all these, so many other options, and when all those other options are exhausted, then we look to the Lord. Unfortunately, we should be looking to the Lord first. And in places where there is no other options, they do look to the Lord first, and they can grow in faith in ways that we won't if we don't see the Lord as our first and only option. <clears throat> In verse 6, chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. You notice the word humility coming up in this. We talked about it in the communion meditation. If we're proud, we're not submitting ourselves to God if we're walking in pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. And the Bible says that the meek shall inherit the earth. God will resist us if we walk in pride. And that might be what some of this is all about that we're going through right now. That we've been walking in pride. 
And God needs to bring us into the valley of humbling. Maybe not. We don't. But the point is, is that that's a possibility. And it says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We cannot expect the devil to stop harassing us if we don't humble ourselves and submit to God. If we're walking in the flesh, if we're walking in pride, and yet we expect God to deliver us from being harassed by the enemy, it doesn't work that way. It works exactly the way it's laid out here. To humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God and to His will, resist the devil who is assaulting all of us, and he will flee from us. He will stop harassing our minds when we submit ourselves to God. Our minds will stop being harassed and troubled by the enemy. We'll have peace in our heart and our mind. And he says to cleanse our hands, you sinners. Repent of our sins. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's the second time in the book of James that mentions the word double-minded. The double-minded man is unstable in all of its ways. Double means two. Two minds. Two different mindsets. One is a spiritual mindset and one is a carnal mindset. And walking together with both of them going on in our mind. And that's why he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. we got to get rid of the carnal mind. We have to cast down the carnal mind and all that stuff that it tries to uh, entice us and influence us to do. If we want to talk about faith and living by faith, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens... Through God working in us and we walking with us walking with God. Draw close to God and God will draw close to us. Walking with God, God walking with us. It's a two-way street. And here we are. Chapter 5 and verse 10 of James. My brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the patience or perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Could Job see that while he was in the midst of that? No, of course not. He didn't understand it. But the Bible tells us to look at it. Why is God allowing us to go through the things we are? You have to look at the end of the story of Job and how God blessed him more than ever before until you understand the whole trial of Job and the patience of Job. Job's wife told him to curse God and die. And Job wouldn't listen to it. 
He said, we've received good things from the hand of the Lord. You know, blessings. Should not we accept these kind of trials from God? Shouldn't we still give glory to God? The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gave glory to God in the midst of the worst crisis than anybody we've ever known, including ourselves. What a, what a terrible crisis, we say, that Job went through. But we have to look at the end of the story to make sense of it all, to understand God at all. And it says, take a look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Men of God, women of God, he says, take a look at them and how they suffered and the patience in crisis that they exhibited. And said, so take that as an example for us. And then it goes on to talk about Job, who suffered as much as any of them, if not more than any of them. He says, you've got to look at the end of the story. You've got to look at how God blessed Job more than he ever had been blessed before. And God answered his prayers and helped him. And in verse 16 of chapter 5, it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man produces much. An effective prayer is a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that continues in faith. Effective and fervent prayer of the righteous man produces much. Of the righteous man. The man who is submitted to God. The man who has his faith in Christ. For the forgiveness of his sins. The man who is following Jesus. That man, when he prays, is going to produce a lot. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man produces much. And finally, faith for the backslider. At the end of Dave's prayer, he's praying for those who have gone astray. Not just here, but in many places. That God will devise a way to restore the backslider. And in verse 19 of chapter 5, it says, Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It says, Brothers, if any among you, any among the brethren, Fall away from the truth. Wander from the truth. Bring them back. Because when you, someone brings them back, they're turning the sinner from the error of their way and covering a multitude of sins. Saving them from death. God can use us. Many times when someone is backslidden, they won't listen. We can pray for them. We can pray for God to open the door. We can pray for an opportunity. We can pray for God to humble them. We can pray for God to do what's necessary. God has given us plenty of... Uh, he's given us plenty of opportunity. 
to be involved in a situation like that. So I want you to think about that today. Recently somebody said, well, this brother is backslidden, maybe he's not going to come, maybe he's just one of those ones who's never going to come back. Really? Well, there's hope, well, there's life, there's hope. You don't give up on somebody. That's not walking in love towards them. You don't give up on them, no matter what they look like. I'm horrified to hear Christians say such things. Maybe they're just not one of the ones that will be saved. Or maybe they are. Maybe you should be praying for them. And if you pray the prayer of faith, God will answer you. Effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Don't be like that person running a white flag up the flagpole concerning people that have gone astray. God forbid we should be like that. God forbid. Let's not give up. God can devise a way to restore the backslider, those who have fallen away, to come back before it's too late and save us all from death and cover a multitude of sins. They were on their way to death, to destruction, on that road, that wrong road. God can use us. Turn them back. He can use us in that process. Don't surrender. Don't give one inch of ground to the enemy. Don't listen to it. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man produces much.